Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Good morning. If you're new with us, um, all everyone's standing, um, so can you just stand with us? We're going to start this part in the service by saying some things about us that God says about us. So the words will be on the screen. Just say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I'm the apple of God's eye. I'm God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up. Say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Give yourselves a big hand. And you can, be, you can be seated, and uh, for some of you that was a little weird because you're not used to that, but what we like to do is just say things about us that God says about us and remind ourselves of who we are, who God's created us to be, and uh, if you don't know what all that, that is yet, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but my name is Josh, and my parents, Pastor Keith and Sheila, um, are actually the, the lead pastors of Elevate Life here, and they're actually in uh, Greenville, South Carolina this morning because a great friend of ours by the name of John Gray is uh, becoming the pastor of a church today. And so they're there to bless him. And uh, we're, we're celebrating with them. We're family. And so um, what, I, what I invite you to do is after this service, my dad is actually kind of speaking a little bit at their church. Um, their church is called Relentless Church. And I don't I don't know what their website is. I think it's called ourrelentlesschurch.com. And you can go look at uh, where my parents are at and you'll see my dad. He's going to be um, speaking on some level this morning in, uh, in South Carolina. And so I'm privileged to be up here um, talking a little bit this morning. And last, last week we talked about, uh, or, or my dad talked about how to move forward as the royal family. And I want to continue along that, along that same vein, along that same way of thinking. And so the title of, of what we're going to talk about today is how to move forward as the light of the world. And if you'd like notes, we, we hand out notes every week. If you'd like notes, you can let the ushers know and they'll, they'll hand you those notes. That way you can follow along like the Disney sing-alongs that all of us, that all of us like. Well, I'm going to start in, in Matthew chapter 5. We're all going to start in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to go there um, this morning. If you don't have your Bible, we have a Bible on, uh, on the screen. You can also, believe it or not, every week if you use version, if you use the Bible app, the team actually puts our notes in the, in the Uversion app. So you can log into Uversion and see that we are a live event and actually get the notes in the Bible app while we're, while we're reading through this. So that's not something that a lot of people know about, but might as well let you know if you're going to use technology that way. So in Matthew chapter 5, in this particular passage of Scripture, this is in the church world. This is a really well-known passage of Scripture. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus was on top of a mountain and he was speaking to people. And uh, we know a lot about this. And what Jesus does at the very beginning of this chapter, I'm not going to read it, but he gives these things called the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitude just means blessing. So he says, hey, you're blessed when you do this. You're blessed when you act this way. You're blessed when you think this way. And then he goes into the part that we're going to talk about today in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14. And this is, what he, uh, this is what he says. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. 
No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Hey, before we go any further, let's pray. God, this morning we just thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that a word from you can change our life forever. Pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you're that you would, in the midst of whatever we're in, in our life, in our family, in our business, and everything that we can so easily be distracted by, I thank you that you can speak directly to us. And I pray this morning that it wouldn't be about a person, but really, God, it would be about you, that you would just speak to us right where we're at, and that you would change some things forever for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Jesus says all these different things that are, that are blessings. And, and you can go back and read that. But he says, you're blessed when you do this. You're blessed when you think this way. You're blessed when you act this way. And he's giving the Sermon on the Mount. And so then he goes into this discussion about us being the light of the world. And uh, many of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I think there's one particular verse that's not really in here. It's a little bit forward in the Bible, that to me is a, a verse that kind of the entire Bible um, spins around. It's like the axis for, for really the way God wants us to be, and that's, that's this verse, Romans 12, verse 2. And the Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so all of us are trying to figure out what God's will for our life is. All of us are trying to discover uh, how to do things God's way. And, and that's the reason why we happen to be in this room today. I don't know what your relationship with God looks like right now, where you feel like you are with him. But the reason why all of us are in this room this morning is because we're trying to figure out how to live the kind of life God wants us to live. And so this, is, this to me is one of the core verses regarding how we should see our own life, how we should see ourselves, because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, don't, be, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. So that, that when, when, when Paul in Romans chapter 12 talks about the world, he's saying don't copy the behavior and customs of people that are not kingdom people. Don't value the things that culture values. Don't chase after things that other people chase after. But, but if, we're really, if we really pay attention, and this is why this verse is so important to me, if we really pay attention to what we're doing, we will probably discover that we are defining a lot of things according to the way that the world defines them. We look at our success. We define success the way the world defines success. So we define success based on whatever platform that we find ourselves on. We define success based on how much money that we make. We define success based on how many people know our name or how many people buy into us on some level. We define success in our family a certain way. We define success for our kids a certain way. And if we're not careful, it could look just like the way everyone else in the world defines success. And God says right here in his word, he says, don't do things that way. So whatever, whatever is the direction and the values of the culture, basically don't do things that way. And then you'll prove what God's will is for your life. And all of us are trying to figure out what God's will is for our life. But at the same time, we're not really being careful on what it is that we value and what it is that we find ourselves chasing after. So Jesus, all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, before Paul ever wrote Romans 12 verse 2, all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. 
Let people see your good works. Let people see the things that you do really well. And when people see what you do really well, then they'll glorify your Father in heaven. But us doing what we do really well is dependent upon us understanding that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world. That we're not supposed to have the same attitudes and behaviors and beliefs that the culture is that we're in. And all of us, I think, have a fundamental, if you, if you follow God for any period of time, you have a fundamental understanding of that thought process. And if you've grown up in church, you know this song, and we can sing it together. This little light of, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of, I'm going to let it. This little light of, I'm going to let it shine. Let it, let it, let it. Awesome. Way to go. So we all, we all are familiar with this thought process that Jesus lays out. You heard that at some point in your life. You heard that um, in children's church or you just heard it culturally. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We've all, we've all heard that. But the effectiveness question. So one of the things you're going to hear us talk about a lot as a church, the more you come here, if this is your first time or you're just kind of new to our church and figuring it out. The question that we ask, we ask the effectiveness question a lot. And the effectiveness question is, how's that working out for you? So anytime someone describes a thought process, anyone, anytime someone describes a way of believing or a way of thinking, the number one question we should be asking is, how's that working out for you? So the example that, that I would use this morning is, imagine, if you will, a person who's $100,000, $200,000 in credit card debt. And they come to you and they sit down with you and they say, hey, I want to teach you how to, how to do money. I want to teach you how to spend money. I want to teach you how to invest. I want to teach you how to structure your finances. Your number one question should be in that moment, how's that working out for you? Because I'm not sure I want a person who's that, that much in debt to teach me how to be like them. Because that's ultimately what they're going to do. Right? There's, 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 there's all kinds of stuff like that in our culture. It's like I go to the gym trying to get healthy. And it seems like the most unhealthy person in the gym is the one that's always trying to give advice. So let's, so let's not be those kind of people. But there's a lot of people that are like that in the world. The number one, the number one thing that's the most important is not what you think, it's, it's what you do. And it's not what you say, it's what you do. Benjamin Franklin said, well done is better than well said. We can, ha we can have a lot of thought processes. We can have a lot of ways of believing and ways of seeing things. But the number one question we should be asking about ourselves and other people is how's that working out for you? So as Christians, as Christ followers, those of us in this room this morning who would call ourselves Christ followers, um, that's the question we should be asking ourselves about how we're following God. So most Americans, most adults in America, in fact, uh, almost 90% of adults, 89% of adults, according to most recent statistics, say they believe in God. Only slightly fewer adults call themselves Christians. So 70% of Americans would call themselves Christians. Now, if you watch um, different TV channels, or you follow different Facebook pages, or you look at different things, you would not assume that because we, we kind of feel like as Christians that even in America, that Christian values are going away, that they're ceasing to exist, while at the same time, 70% of Americans do call themselves Christians. So the 70%, let's, let's ask ourselves the effectiveness question this morning, how's that working out for us? How's that working out for us? as Americans. So out of, out of Americans, according to recent statistics, 75% of employees admit to stealing from their employer at least once. 
60% of adults say that they can't have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least once. 80% of women admit to regularly telling uh, half-truths and little lies. 54% of marriages now begin with unmarried cohabitation. 90% of Americans believe infidelity is unacceptable. That's a win, except 41% of spouses admit to infidelity. 68% of women and 74% of men admit they would have an affair if they knew that they would never get caught. And last year, there were 21 billion visits just from Americans to adult websites. So I asked the question again, how's that working out for us? How's the Christian nation of America working out for us? How's us buying into what Jesus is saying here working out for us? What we say and what we do as God's people seem to be very different things. If I could sum up modern Christianity in one statement, it would be all talk, no action. We're great at talking about it. We're great at, we're great at making, you know, we're great at posting Bible verses to social media. We're great at taking stands on all kinds of different political issues. We're great at doing all this different kind of stuff, saying all kinds of stuff. But when the rubber meets the road in our life as people that supposedly follow God, we're not really measuring up to our own standard. So if you and I were salespeople and we were selling Christianity to the world, um, we would have to conclude that we don't believe in our own product. We're not, we're not the hair club for men guy, who many of you would be familiar with that commercial. He says, he said at one point, I'm not just the CEO, I'm a client. We're not that. Brendan Manning, who's a Christian author, says the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So as Christians, we have to admit to ourselves, first of all, if you're a Christ follower in this room, we have to admit to ourselves, first of all, that we have created that reputation. Now, it might not be you as an individual, but you're a part of this family. So when people think of Christian, what do they think of? When people think of Christian, um, what's, what's their thought process? And all the way back 2,000 years ago, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, don't let them see your good thoughts. Don't let them see your good words that you say. Don't, don't like, you know, quote yourself. What, what Jesus said was, let them see your good works. Let them see the good stuff that you do. And, and then they'll say, man, like, God's, God's really great. God is real because this person acts this way. And this person treats people this way. So how do we move forward as the light of the world? The first thing we got to do there in your notes is we got to do good got to do good, according to Jesus. So we can't just speak the gospel. We actually have to live the gospel. And there's a lot of people, you know, none of us in this room, I hope, but there's a lot of people who are more concerned with speaking the truth than living the truth. They're more concerned with, with uh, being the kind of person who speaks the gospel than being the kind of person who lives the gospel. And if we're not careful, we can all find ourselves in that kind of situation and in that kind of moment. So in Matthew chapter 7... Jesus um, gives us some, thought, some thoughts on this. He says in, uh, in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 16, he says, You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn, bush, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. 
So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So what's the number one thing that people are going to identify us with? They're not going to identify us with our thought processes. They're not going to identify us with our beliefs. We can subscribe to all of that. But what people are going to identify us as individuals by is by the way that we act. And there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about the kind of fruit that we should be producing, about the kind of ways that we should act. And I'm not going to read it, but I recommend that you take a look at Galatians chapter 5 because Paul lays out the kind of fruit that we should be demonstrating in our life. He gives us nine different fruit of the Spirit. So when God's working in our life, these nine things should be made evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the nine things that Paul tells us, if we follow God, if I, if I claim to be a Christ follower, those nine things need to be evidenced in my life. So Jesus says we're known by our actions. And a lot of us, maybe some of us in this room today, there's a lot of people in the world that happen to have this tattoo, but some of us have the tattoo that say only God can judge me. And uh, that's not true. People will always judge you based on how you act. People will always look at you, according to Jesus, Matthew chapter 7, they will always look at you, they will look at the fruit of your life, and they will decide if you're a good tree or a bad tree based on that. So if I have bad fruit in my own personal life, I have to admit that I might be a bad tree. And only God can help me transform from a bad tree into a good tree. Only God can help me be the kind of person that bears fruit in my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a German pastor and uh, a priest in the Lutheran church. And uh, he, he lived during World War II, during the Nazi Holocaust and all the different stuff. And he, he wrote a book called Discipleship. And I don't recommend that you read this book unless you're just super into deep theological concepts because it's translated from German and it's not really an easy read. But in this book, he gives us this thought process of the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. So cheap grace is a grace that the American Christian happens to be very familiar with. Cheap grace says God loves everyone and forgives me no matter what. So it doesn't matter how I live, how I see people, or how I treat them because I'm forgiven. That's a verse that, or that's a, that's a thought process that a lot of people are familiar with. They say, you know, in terms of being a Christ follower, they say, you know what, I'm forgiven, I'm set free, I have God's grace, and it doesn't really matter, nothing else matters because I have grace. So I can mess up as, as much as I want, I can make bad decisions, I can do business without integrity, I can have no character in my own personal life because I'm living and I'm forgiven. Then Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes, this is 70 years ago that he wrote this book, he describes costly grace. And he said 70 years ago, this is a grace that's being lost in the church that we're beginning to misunderstand this. Um, Costly grace is summed up in a quote by Martin Luther that he said, we're saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by faith which is alone. And what that means is that if we truly understand the gospel, and we truly understand what Jesus did for us, it will change what we do and how we live. There is no argument against that. So we're not saved by stuff that we do. And this is what we all have to admit as, as a Christian. Salvation, our relationship with God, us understanding that God has a great destiny for our life, it's not based on our actions. It's not based on works. But the truth is, if we truly understand the gospel in our hearts, it changes what we do. 
understanding what God has done for us should actually change the way that we act. If what we do is no different than a person that follows God, do we really understand God's gift of grace, love, and forgiveness? Because the number one thing that's going to evidence in your life whether or not you have a relationship with God is not what you think, it's what you do. What you think is ultimately going to determine what you do in your life. But if I in my life have bad fruit, I might need to admit there's parts of my life that I have not given to God yet. There's parts of my life that I haven't submitted to him yet. Because if I really understand the fact that 2,000 years ago, there was, there was God himself in the form of Jesus who came to the earth and he took all my sin and all my shame and all my guilt and all my condemnation and all my consequences and he nailed that to the cross so that I could be set free in the context of a relationship with him. If I truly understand that in my heart, then there is no, there is no argument against it changing the way that I live. There's no argument against it changing the way that I do family. There's no argument against it changing the way I do business and changing the way that I do relationships. And if it doesn't change the way that I'm living my life, then I'm missing it. Then I don't really have a true understanding of that. Because Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could just live our lives however we want. Jesus didn't die on the cross for the American version of Christianity. Jesus was a man from the Middle East, from, from Israel. He didn't get involved in all the different stuff that we could easily find ourselves involved in. What Jesus died on the cross for was to establish his kingdom in the earth through us. He didn't come to establish another religion, another belief system. If you're here and you're confused and you think that Christianity is just a way of believing, I'm just up here today to tell you it's not a way of believing, it's a way of living. Following God is meant to be the way that we live our life, not just a way that we think about our life. And there's so many people that live their lives and they're not really concerned with that. They're more concerned with the thought process of it all. They're more concerned with taking that in and trying to assess how that fits into their preconceived notions and their preconceived, preconceived beliefs. When according to Romans chapter 12, God tells us don't, don't do things the way that the world does them. Don't treat people how, how other people treat people. Don't act the way that other people act. Don't live your life the way that everyone else lives their life. Let God transform you into a new person, according to Romans chapter 12, by changing the way that you think. So when our thinking actually changes, then our life begins to change. The way we act begins to change. We become a nicer person. We're more kind to people. We serve people better. We realize that life is not about ourselves. But if, the, if my relationship with God does not actually change the way that I treat people, if my relationship with God does not actually change the way that I, that I do my job, that I do business, if my relationship with God doesn't change the way that I, that I do things with my spouse or with my family, do I really have an understanding of what it means to have a relationship with him? Because there's a lot of people that we can be wrapped up in all kinds of different stuff, but Jesus makes it really clear in Matthew chapter 5. He makes it super simple. He says, do good. So be the light of the world. Do really great stuff, and when you do really great stuff, people will see you and they'll glorify me. And they'll be like, man, people don't act that way. People don't live that way. People don't think that way. But the fact that you do shows me that there's a God in heaven because people don't act that way. So the second thing is do good every day. So throughout history, humans, human beings, us, we've attempted to establish our own little kingdoms on the earth. Whether that's through Nazi blitzkriegs or communist revolutions or Islamist jihads, it's a real temptation for humanity to resort 
uh, to imposing our will on other people. To being the kind of people that say, hey, this is, this is the way everyone's going to think now. This is what everyone's going to do now. And you're either going to go with us or we're going to kill you. That's, that's a lot of times how human beings can act when, when they're left to themselves. N.T. Wright, who's a Christian author, said when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks, he sends in the meek. And meek doesn't mean demanding. Meek doesn't mean that we're the kind of people that show up and say, hey, you're going to do this, you're going to do things this way, or you're not a part of what we do. Meek people are people that are just there to serve people. So we have to do good every day. It's not enough just to do good. We have to do good every day. Jesus comes and he says, I want you to be the light of the world. So contrary to what we see from the moral majority, what we, what we read on Facebook, what we read on, on blog posts, God has not asked us to impose his will on America or on the world. There's not, there's not a, 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 there should not be, according to the Bible, a thought process that says, as Christians, we have to make everybody act a certain way. We have to make everybody believe a certain way. We have to make sure that everyone in America or everyone in the country that we happen to live in, whether that's America or not, lives according to a certain lifestyle. That's not what God's asked us to do. But if we're not careful, we can start doing that. We can start making it about how you got to do things this way because we're Christians and we follow God and we're here to impose our will on you. We've tried that. We've tried it recently. And the effectiveness question, remember, the effectiveness question is always, how's that working out for you? So Christians, us, our family, we've protested at major uh, movie studios. The result of that is really nothing. We've boycotted television networks and TV shows, and the result of that is nothing. We've, criti we've criticized stores who discourage their employees from saying Merry Christmas. The result of that, nothing. We've boycotted Red Cups at coffee shops, and some of you went and bought Starbucks today anyway. We've publicized lists of corporations who, who aren't faith-friendly, and the result is nothing. So the question we have to ask ourselves as Christians living in the day and age that we live in is how's our Christianity working out for us? How's our Christianity working out for this culture? Because the truth is if you ask some, un, some unsaved friends, some friends that you have that don't have a relationship with God, if you ask them what they think about Christians, it probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't give you a good answer. Because the truth is in America in 2018, we're known for more, we're known for more of what we're against than what we're for. A lot of people won't be able to describe to you what Christians are for. They'll tell you what they're against. We're against this. We're against that. And based on, the, based on the era and based on the year that we happen to be living in, we're probably going to be on the opposite side of whatever direction culture is going. So we're against whatever's happening in culture. We're fighting against that. We feel like we got to fight to defend our faith. We feel like we got we to fight to do all this different kind of stuff so that we can impose our will on, on, on the world because we're scared that our Christian way of living is somehow going to be invaded by the world and everything's going to you know, blow up in our faces if we don't do this kind of stuff. And that's not the way God wants us to live. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is not asking us to go into the halls of power and make grandiose statements that alienate people. And that's, and that's what in America, in 2018, the day and age that we happen to be living in, that's what we're known for. We're known for being some of the most divisive people in the room. We're known for being some of the least understanding people in the room and some of the most judgmental people in the room. Now, I'm not saying you're known for that as an individual, but if you call yourself a Christian, that's, that's the reputation that you have as a Christ follower already. And believe it or not, Jesus actually addresses this in the Bible. If you go back in Matthew chapter 7, this is what the Bible says in the message version in verse 1 through 5. 
Jesus says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again. Playing holier than thou, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Jesus is saying here, and you can read this version in whatever version you want to read. In, in the New King James Version, in different versions, Jesus said that don't, don't look at the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a log in front of your own eye. So Jesus says here, if we can just sum this into modern day terms, Jesus says the height of hypocrisy is to judge another person's sin. It's the height of hypocrisy. Doesn't matter if you call yourself a Christian or not. The height of hypocritical thinking, hypocritical attitude is to judge another person's sin. What we have to understand is that humans will always make mistakes. But my focus should always be on myself, not on finding fault with other people. Not on finding fault with systems, not on finding fault with different kind of things that are happening in our culture. You know, the thing is, our culture is going to go whatever direction that it goes. It's not our job to stop it. It's our job to be the light in the midst of it. So Jesus says he sent us into the world, but we're not from the world. So we don't need to act like the world. We don't need to be the kind of people that choose sides and stand on one side of the argument while there's other people on the other side of the argument. Because the thing is, Jesus is, God has created us all. The, the Bible says that every human being is made in God's image. So if, so if every human being is made in God's image, you and me included, then we're on people's side. We're not on a certain side. And that's hard to do if you're buying into the world system. That's hard to do if you're buying into the way things are currently happening in our world, which is so divided and so divisive. And people are just so much choosing sides in the midst of every argument and every disagreement. And it, and it seems like it's becoming more and more intense. And people are more and more angry at each other. And people are less and less understanding of each other. And people are less and less willing to find compromises. And God has sent us into that world not to be like them. But at some point, we... we we embraced humanity and following God at the same time. And we feel like those things can reconcile. So my political beliefs and my Christianity are somehow tied into each other when it's really not that way. If I, if I, if I call myself a Christ follower, if I call myself a follower of Jesus, if I say I have a relationship with him, that's the first thing in my life. Not everything else. I can be an American after that. I can be a conservative or a liberal or however it is that I would define myself, my color, my race, my background, my culture. I can define myself as that after I define myself as a Christ follower. But if I define myself as a Christ follower, that should be the number one thing that determines how I act, what I think, and how I live. So being the light of the world is not accomplished through some grand gesture. It's not accomplished through us getting on stages and making uh, great speeches and doing things large in a large way. It's, it's accomplished through the things that we do every day. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to, to walk out of here and find a platform and start preaching the gospel on the street and doing all kinds of different stuff like that. We might think that being the light of the world uh, will be caused in some dramatic way as we preach or witness or go on missions trips and do all kinds of stuff. But the world that we're supposed to be, be the light to, according to the Bible. And this is what Jesus is talking about. 
the people that, that are, are, are people that we meet and interact with every day. So what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he makes it really simple for us. And things can be really complicated and we can be um, trying to figure out, right, how do I, okay, so you're telling me, I, you know, my political beliefs really don't matter and, it, you know, it's not important and, you know, all that different kind of stuff. So what am I supposed to do? Okay, what am I supposed to do in the midst of all of this? It's not, it's not that our thought processes don't matter. It's not that our humanity doesn't matter. It's not that our experiences don't matter. We have to put that in the context of what God wants to do through us anyway. Because all of us have a story. All of us have a life that we're living. And so the way we act every day, the people that we interact with every day, they're supposed to see our transformed life in our everyday activities. And it's the transformation of those everyday activities that cause people to praise our Father in heaven. So when I go to the store and I treat someone with kindness, when I'm nice to somebody, when I'm, when I'm honoring of my boss instead of dishonoring, when I, when I treat my spouse well, when I, when I act right with my family, when most people don't, when I'm able to, to fight for my marriage in the best way, when I'm able to, to do the things that it doesn't seem like the rest of the world is able to do, when I'm able to, to be a person who finds compromise when no one else is finding compromise, when I'm, when I'm a person that's able to collaborate with other people, when I'm a person that's able to, to listen to other sides of the story without having to pick a side, then people see my transformation in that and they go, hey, where'd you get that thought process from? Because no one else is doing that. Everyone else is just consumed with their thought process and they're living in whatever echo chamber that they've created for themselves where they only want to hear from people that agree with them. They only want to hear from people that have their same thought process. But Jesus is saying here in this verse, he says, do the little things well every day. Be kind to people every day. Treat people with respect every day. Be honoring towards people that, that disagree with you. Find compromise where you're able to do that. And I'm not talking about moral compromise. I'm just talking about compromise in your life. Understand that, you, you know, everyone's got an opinion. And uh, opinions are like something else. And you can read that quote online. So my opinion doesn't really matter that much. You know, I know the way I believe. I know the way that God's called me to live. And I live with conviction. And I'm going to choose to live a certain way according to the way, the way God wants me to live. But I'm not going to impose that on anybody else. I just know what God's asked me to do. So there's a man by the name of Donald McCullough. And he wrote a book that I, I would really recommend that everyone read. It's just about having manners. And this book is called Say Please, Say Thank You. He says, I'm more interested in the little things, such as remembering to say thank you and to call your mom on Mother's Day. These things might not, be, might not seem very important when compared with the major problems facing our culture, yet they may be the best place to begin. They may be the only honest place to begin. If a person can't remember to say thank you to her housekeeper... It probably won't matter much if she writes a major philosophical treatise on kindness. If a person is rude to his family, the angels probably won't give a holy writ if he preaches soaring sermons on the nature of love. A recent survey by, the public, by, by a group called Public Agenda found that rudeness is getting worse in America, and I think we're all surprised by that. 74% of people say that a lack of respect and courtesy in our society is a serious problem. 88% of people say that they often come across people who are rude or disrespectful. 50% of people have walked out of a business in the past year because of poor customer service. So if we, don't do, if we don't do good every day, we're hiding our light from the world. You know, there's been times that, that believe it or not, people have come to this church and they've had bad customer service. 
There's been times that people have walked into environments where you and I are, and we are the rude people. And we are the people who are not courteous. And we are the people who do not treat them well. We're the people that don't acknowledge their existence. We're the people that aren't kind to them. And you might have heard me reference this before, but there's a, there was a survey done by Ritz-Carlton across all their hotels in the world. And they asked this question. They said, what's the number one thing that you want the most when you come to a hotel? The overwhelming number one answer across the whole world was, I just want people to be nice to me. You know what people want? They don't care about what your truth is. They don't care about what your opinion is. They don't care about what you think about stuff. They just care about if you're nice to them or not. But then Jesus says, so he gives us the, it's, it's like, how do, you, how do you then navigate yourself in the culture? How do you make sure that people buy into your thought process? Well, they see it working. The, 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 question, the answer to the effectiveness question is it's working out really well. So how's that working out for you? Well, my marriage is amazing. My family's awesome. I have great friendships. My life is just really working out. It's not that I don't have struggles, but, man, things are going really well. Well, why is, why is it going so well? Well, you know, I got this God thing going on. So people will see your good works, and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. We're meant to be really great. We're meant to do really great stuff. Everything about us is meant to be amazing. Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful and committed people can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. So it doesn't take us making huge gestures and doing massive things in our life. It doesn't take us doing big things really well, although that's really important. It takes us doing small things really well. St. Francis of Assisi is credited with this quote that says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. That's not actually something that he said. The actual quote that I feel like is a much better quote is he said, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our preaching is our walking. So it doesn't matter what we think, doesn't matter what we know, doesn't matter how much of the Bible that we got figured out. If our life doesn't look any different, then it's not going to help anybody, us included. But our life has to look different. The grace of God is meant to affect our lives every day. It's meant to change the way that we live. It's meant to affect the way that we do our friendships. It's meant to affect the way that we do business. It's meant to affect the way that we treat people who are different than us or disagree with us or have a different lifestyle than us so that God can be glorified in, what, in the way that we choose to live. So Jesus is teaching us in this verse that the witness to the reality of the presence of God in our lives is the things that we do every day. That's the proof of whether or not you and I follow Jesus is what we do every day, the way that we treat people every day, the way that we are with our kids and our spouse and our friends and the people that we work with, the way that we are with them every day is the proof of whether or not God is working in our lives. And I don't know you as an individual, I don't know what's going on in your world, but God wants to be the kind of God for us that can help us demonstrate fruit in our lives. And it's hard because we're sinful. It's hard because you know what, no matter how hard we try, we're going to make mistakes. So I'm not asking you this morning to go walk out of here and be perfect and handle everything right and nothing ever go wrong for you. That's not what I'm asking. But what I am saying is that according to Jesus, according to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, you should be the most admired person in the world. People should look at everything about you and they should want to model their life after the way that you live as an individual, as a person who's a Christ follower. In this verse, Jesus is not talking to CEOs, he's not talking to pastors, he's not talking to some super religious people, he's talking to normal people that are just trying to live their life. 
And he says, do good stuff. Do good stuff every day so that when you do good, people will look at you and they'll glorify your Father in heaven. We have this amazing opportunity to do really great things. We have this amazing opportunity to be successful in our life. God wants us to be successful. Why? God wants us to be successful so that we can point everything that we do to him. So that everything in our life can be a result of what God's done for us, not what we've done for ourselves. And so that we can have this mentality that there's no such thing as a self-made success. There is a such thing as a God-made success. That every door I've walked through, everything that's been a success in my life is just because I've tried to model my life after the way God wants me to model my life. That is the most important thing about the way God wants us to live. And that's what people need to see in the world. People don't need to hear another opinion. They don't need to see another Facebook post. They don't need to do another whatever. Like I said, Benjamin Franklin said, and it's not in the Bible, but I think it's a good thought, well done is better than well said. Doesn't matter if you're articulate, doesn't matter if you can say things in the right way and organize all your words to be really poetic. What matters is how you live your life every day. And that's what either, either draws people to God or pushes them away from him. So let people see your good works, the good things that you do. And when people see the good things that you do, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. When people see the bad things that we do, I don't know what the opposite of that is, but we're kind of interacting with that a lot. There's some people that, you know, will find out that we're Christian and go, man, you're not like all the other Christians I know. Which is like maybe a good thing. Let's change the reputation. Like, let's, let's change what we're known for. Because God, God wants us to be known for more than that. And, I don't, and, and, and we're all trying to figure it out. Again, we're all human, and we really do need God's grace. But understand that God wants to help you, and he can help you. And he wants for us to be different. He wants for us to look different from the culture so that we ultimately attract people to him. And everything that we do is, that's good is something that ultimately God gets the glory for. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.